0: You are listening to Cross Point Community Church in Lagrange, Texas Podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well hey, good morning. Uh, we've had two different services here today. Uh, I don't know if you've heard and some of you uh, we we're at nine o'clock this morning, The power just went out in our entire facility, except the kids. So we had church in here in the dark with candles. So it'll be a totally different experience. So um, there was a lot of people running around with their heads cut off trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, we had church anyway. And so it was good. And it reminded us of the early church. The early church spread rapidly while they were meeting in caves in the dark with candles to hide and get away. And so there was these secret places of worship. And so it was this very contemplative time for us to be together and reminded of us of the simplicity. As this church staff, we went away this past week to a pretty large church. And one of the things, I mean, they have all the stuff, right? And uh, one of the things that they continue to remind us of is you don't need all these things to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we were reminded of that at 9 o'clock this morning. And uh, we're glad we have it um, because the AC is on, which Chris appreciates. All right. So um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Matthew here in just a little bit. If you don't, it'll show up on the screen. Um, One of the privileges that I have been taught several different things over the years and um, really bright, brilliant people that have spoken into my life and my ministry. And one of the things that I was told early on was to never eat alone. So if you're out and about throughout the day and you're going to have lunch out in public, never eat alone. You should, you should always eat with someone because it's a missed opportunity if you don't. And I thought, well, that's kind of, but you know, as a pastor, I get it, you know, whatever. And so that's been something I try to do, make sure that if I'm going to be out, I try to intentionally meet with someone or have a lunch with someone, and then also the idea early on of, hey, the most important things in your life, the things that you feel that have of most value and most import, those are the big rocks of life, right? And so those things should go in your calendar. Those things should go first as you plan out the week and plan out the month. And so for me, one of the very important things of my life is not just as a pastor, but more importantly as a husband, as a father, is to set dates with my family. And so particularly with my kids as they were growing up. And so we would literally from the time they were toddlers, even till today, we have lunch dates or we have dates together. And so one of one of and and the deal was is like, you tell me what you want to do and we'll go do it. Sometimes it was food. Sometimes it was other things. And uh, every once in a while I'd be like, hey, the sky's the limit, you know, and so we'd go do something fun and special. And I remember one one of the fun ones that we had, we had seen where the Christian chicken place, Chick-fil-A. Was, um, having this little father daughter night. And so we we're like, Hey, let's go do that. It was at our local little Chick-fil-A. And so we went to go do that. And the cool thing was is you would dads, you pull up your vehicle to the um, car wash that they were had partnered with and they would wash your car. And while they were washing your car, you then got in a limousine and drove across the parking lot <laughs> to the Chick-fil-A. And they put a little tiara on my daughter and we walked out and we got on red, red carpet and we went inside and we had. Christian chicken. It was a cool time. But even today, (laughs) one of my favorite things is lunch with my kids. I know the time is fleeting. And as I look back, the beauty of Facebook is you can look back over pictures and realize how time flies fast. But even today, the, the texts that I get from my kids, Hey, Dad, we haven't lunch today, because it's on my calendar. It's an, an immovable object, whether it's my daughter or my son. And so if you haven't had the opportunity to have lunch with me on Thursdays between 1230 and 130, it's because i got a plan. And here's what I believe, is that sharing a meal is central To the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that it takes intentionality and purpose. And it's one of the most important things that we can do. Is to sit down with others and to dine with them. That there's something that magical, mysteriously happens over a meal. You begin to laugh. You begin to share stories. You begin to hear all kinds of things. And and you can find out something about someone in 30 minutes over a meal. That you could probably never find out over six months before. There's something about breaking bread together. And sharing a meal is central to Jesus' mission of sharing the gospel and of loving others. I'm convinced that eating a meal with someone is one of the most powerful ways that we can bless ourselves and others. Even think about it, research tells us that as we eat as a family, you encourage healthy eating habits. One, you're not eating out, but usually around your table, and you're eating, even if it's peanut butter and jelly, right? That's healthier than going to the local restaurant, except Christian chicken. It leads to conversations. I cannot tell you how many times we've had life-on-life conversations around our dinner table right after a tortilla got thrown across. Or right after a roll, when they say pass a roll, and we pass it literally chunk it as hard, as fast as you can. You got to catch it or it's going to be stuck to your face. Conversations of correction and support and, and depth and love. It's amazing in families where they say that, that families gather together over time, that your children's academic performance improves. I don't know that it's because you're sitting down doing math together or talking Hamlet I think it's because your children feel encouraged and supported and know you love them in spite of what their grade is. And so there's a freedom to fail, and out of that freedom to fail comes support and encouragement. And they also tell us that over time our children make better choices. Because our children catch more and learn more around the dinner table than we could ever realize. And again, they know that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa and others support them and encourage them. And they don't have to seek attention other places. They know that they have a mom and dad that's there for them. Sharing a meal is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The place where we grow and share our faith more than any other place is in the home. That is the central place of passing on our faith. I'm even told that sharing a meal with friends and family Extended family is good for your health. That as you sit down together, that you find a place of safety and that your hormones and emotions provide for you the sense of safety and health as you gather together. And in the midst of that, stronger community is built. It even improves your communication skills. Can you imagine if communication skills being improved over dinner? Why is that? Because probably somebody's got something in their mouth. And they can't talk for a little bit, hopefully. And so maybe someone else can talk. It slows us down and allows us to listen. The dinner table gives everyone around the table an equal platform to share about their day. I know some families that one of the things that they did was they actually took the old, the other place that has this thing called a Happy Meal, and after... They took all the stuff out of it. They kept the Happy Meal box, and the parents threw questions in. And so every night when they would gather together as a family, they would pull a question out of the Happy Meal box and discuss that question. And it could be something as simple as, hey, what's your favorite color? And they would go around talking about that. Or, hey, what do you think about this topic? Or what do you think about that topic? And again, conversations were stirred and encouraged because everyone has an equal platform. One of the things that I love about food and being able to travel is you get to learn about different people and different cultures, that you get to see little nuances and twists. that so whether if you're in Thailand or China, different places, you get to taste different things. And one of my philosophies is whenever I meet new people around the world, I tell them, let me try anything and everything. Don't tell me what it is till after. Cause there's some, th- some things that I've eaten that I wouldn't have eaten if I'd have known beforehand. But I didn't prejudge them. And in not prejudging them, they were actually pretty good. Would I eat it again? No. (laughs) Because I know what it is. But even just going to someone else's house in LaGrange, Texas. Somebody's grandma cooks something different than your grandma. And it's the same mashed potatoes, or it's the same gravy, it's the same whatever. But there's something just a little bit different about it, and you taste something new. And in that, you get to know something about them and go, what's different about this? And you go home with a different recipe, and now you're carrying them with you in that moment. There's something about sharing a meal that Jesus made it central to his mission of loving others and sharing his love. Even Jesus, as you look throughout the New Testament, we see over and over and over again incredible things happened around the dinner table. Jesus' first miracle was a, a wedding feast. And after a week in the old days, they would have a wedding celebration, and the wedding celebration was a week. And so at the end of the week, guess what happened? This family ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother came to him and said, Hey, listen, all of the wine's gone. Do something about it. And he said, okay, I'll make the, hold my goblet. I'm going to go make the best wine. And wine meant joy and life. And Jesus provided joy and life. And he provides us joy and life through his death and resurrection Amen. on the cross, the greatest meal. Jesus, as we know, fed 5,000. There's also another time that we kind of have, we tend to skip over. Preachers like the big numbers. But, Jesus also fed 4,000, and that tends to get skipped over, but 4,000 is pretty impressive before you do 5,000, and you imagine sitting down, Jesus looks at both of those crowds, and he says, these people have been here for a little bit. They're running out of food. What can we do? And they take a little bit, and Jesus blesses it and makes it much, just some bread and some fish, but a miracle happened within it, and it's actually more like fifteen to 20,000 probably the the scholars tell us Jesus had a meal with Lazarus's family. Now, if you don't know the story of Lazarus, just prior to this meal, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus would, would come around and hang out with Lazarus and his family before, but but... In John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's walking around. He's been to Starbucks. Everybody knows that Lazarus is alive. And then Jesus shows back up a little bit later and sits down at the meal table with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Can you imagine the conversation? Hey, Lazarus, what was it like being dead and coming back? Were you real stinky? What kind of cologne are you using these days? How would you get rid of all those grave clothes? Jesus had breakfast on the beach with the disciples. He told them, hey, go catch some fish. And they caught a whole bunch of fish. And they they fried it and ate it together. And just the moment on the beach, if you've ever had food on the beach, it tastes better. I don't know why. Jesus had a Sabbath meal with the religious leaders. The religious leaders had had begun to see that Jesus was gaining in popularity and teaching with authority and and miracles were happening. And these rabbis couldn't do these things. and, And people weren't saying the same things about these rabbis that they were saying about Jesus. And so they invited Jesus to a meal and they began to ask him questions. And Jesus just sat and listened as they peppered him with all the questions. The religious people that should have known that the Messiah was in their midst had no idea. It is a time to gather, to break bread. Jesus ate with his disciples a final meal before his arrest and death. Jesus had a meal with the redneck disciple Cleopas and the other disciples after his resurrection. So after his resurrection, he was still having meals. Why? Because he wanted people to see that he had physically risen from the dead; that he wasn't a ghost. The rumors had already started. That one, his body had been stolen, but now people were seeing him walking around. And so they got to change it. And they're like, no, he's really a ghost. And so now what do you do to show people that you're not a ghost? You go, hey, here's the scars. Touch them. And then let's dine together. Because a ghost doesn't eat. And he sat down and ate. Eating a meal in Jesus' day was a statement of friendship. I think it is today as well. It's an affirmation of a person's worth and value and dignity. When you ate, whoever you ate with indicated whom you loved and who you consider to be a part of your social class. For you see, the respectable, well-known rabbis of the day, they didn't eat with sinners. Because that would keep them from the tasks of being a rabbi. So they kept with the clean people. A sinner was a catch-all term for anybody who was not religious or who walked in a little bit illicit lifestyle. And so Jesus, being a little bit different, in Matthew chapter 9, has a meal with one of the chief sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says it this way. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So imagine with me, here's Matthew, a tax collector, and he's sitting in his, his booth, kind of think of a toll booth. And here Matthew is sitting, and he's looking out, and he's at the port, and so ships are coming in, and that's his main task is to tax the ships as they come in. And But then also you had to pass through, and if you had a donkey, you had to make sure you had your toll tag on the donkey and come through. Tax collectors were equal collectors. And there was a set fee for everything that you possibly did. And some tell us that the Roman at that time, that the Roman set fee for taxes collected for each family was about 30% throughout a year. And But people didn't know that. Only the tax collectors knew what the actual fee was. And so the only way for a tax collector to make money was to add A little bit extra to the tax that they collected. Because if it was supposed to be 30%, they had to send that on. So then how are they going to do it? So they would, over time, they figured out the system. And so tax collectors could become extremely wealthy people. And Matthew was one of these. So you can imagine the amount of money he was making with ships coming and people walking by. And here, he's heard a little bit. This guy, Matthew, has heard a little bit about this guy, Jesus. And Jesus walks by. And here's what he says. Follow me and be my disciple. Well, he gets up and follows, which seems kind of odd because this is a call Matthew understood he was now leaving behind a life of wealth and luxury. Because to be a student of another rabbi meant that you took a vow of poverty, and you were now a student of this specific rabbi, and you were going to school for the next three to four years, and you were studying underneath them. And so as you then got released out to go to another synagogue to teach or go somewhere, you would imitate your rabbi. And what your hope was is that people would say to you, hey, Matthew, I can tell that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that you teach and the stories that you tell. That you have walked so closely in the footsteps of Jesus that you are just like him. So Matthew understood at a basic level what was happening. He was giving up his wealth and worth. And that's the call for us. Jesus says, come and follow me. Set down our agenda, our purposes, and to be a student of his in such a way that the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we do things, people say, hey, Chris, more than a pastor, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's our call. That should be the stamp on us. Come, follow me. Verse 10. Later than Matthew, later on in the day, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So again, imagine Matthew, a man of pretty good wealth, would have had a big house, he would have had a big courtyard, and so in that day it would have been a smaller village, and so as people are hearing that, hey, there's going to be a party at Matthew's house, they're hoping that they get an invitation. And as they begin to hear the music, they begin to hear the the smell of the food, and they're like, hey, the wine's been busted out, the party's about to happen, and everything's kind of going on. You can imagine the good chaos at Matthew's courtyard and house. And so the rabbis, it gets their attention. And they kind of come out, peek out, and go, hey, what's going on over there? And they realize there's a party at Matthew's house, and Jesus is there, and they're not invited. That's not supposed to happen. They're the ones that control the invitations. So the Pharisees saw this and they asked Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? (laughs) That's pretty clear language. Why does your rabbi who... By his invitation is saying that he's a friend of these people. Why does he invite these scum to sit at Matthew's table with him? Does he not realize what he's declaring about himself and now that he's unclean? And Jesus overhears them and he says, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, Now this is one of those things where Jesus kind of gets a little dig in. And see, these guys are the studied of the studied. They know the scriptures forward and backward. They have memorized them. They know all of the Torah. They know all of the laws. They know all of this stuff. They have all these different things, and the Messiah is before him, and they don't recognize him. And so he gets a little dig in right here. He says, added, now you learned people go and learning Go learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Wow. They wanted an invitation to the party. And Jesus said, you determined, you decided that you would not be invited to this crew. This scum knows that they're sinners. But you have raised yourself up in such a way that you don't even realize that you're a sinner. And you have uninvited yourself to the party that you want to be at. That's why we say around here. I know it's not good English. No perfect. People allow. What's that mean? That this is a body of scum. We know that we are sinners in need of God's grace and that the only way and the only reason that we've been invited to the table is by Jesus saying, hey, do you recognize that you need me to have an invite to sit at the father's table? Yes. Yes. It's not by checking boxes. It's not by your amount of money, it's not by your education, it's not by the things on the wall, it's not by all the standards that men lift up to say, look at me, Jesus says, no, I've come for the scum, for those that know that they're sinners, for when we say yes to Jesus, that's when the healing process begins, all of us walk with a limp, and we always will, But you know what? Some of the best stories, you go, hey, where'd you get that scar? Man, that was when I struggled with, but I uncovered it and let Jesus do some healing. And so now I can talk about it and share it with you and know that Jesus did healing. I I, I hid from it. I I thought, man, I was embarrassed about it, but now here it is and Jesus healed. Some of us in our houses, our spiritual houses, we've got rooms where we've stored a lot of stuff. And we've locked them up, we've turned off the lights, and we're like, we're inviting people over, but don't go in there. Because they're shame, pain, regret, mess. And in all honesty, Jesus wants to bring a maid service and clean it up. But we just got to let him open the doors and let him do it. Sharing a meal is central to the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus' companions didn't raise up his social value. If anything, in the eyes of the elite, it lowered. I'm convinced that eating a meal, intentionally eating a meal with someone, is one of the most important things that we can do to bless ourselves, but also to bless them. That as we break bread, our hearts and our eyes are opened. We get to enjoy fellowship on a more intimate level. So here's what I want you to think about today. This is a simple message. The gospel is simple. That's the problem is it trips us up. We think we should be able to do things, but it's just saying yes to Jesus. And saying, Jesus has come by your path where you're sitting in a toll booth collecting tolls and building an image. And Jesus walks by and he looks at you, the scum of the earth, and says, come follow me. And that's our decision. Are we willing to step out of the toll booth and walk with Jesus or not? And if we step out of the toll booth and begin to walk with him and follow him, it's a journey over days and weeks and months and years. Letting Jesus do healing in such a way that people say, I can tell that you sit in the presence of Rabbi Jesus. And the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you care has been impacted by being in his presence. I have two kids about to graduate different schools. And one of the things that I hope is that as they launch out into life. Is they love Jesus and know Jesus better than I do. That they've caught a little bit from that. But they've also caught more from others that they've done life with. And that somewhere along the way, those moments when you walk up, showing up to my daughter's college and they're like, Oh, Lauren, I can see who your dad is. But I hope it's more than looks. I hope it's character. And the way that she loves and cares. For my son, more than the way that he looks and acts and the things that he's interested in, it's the fact that, he has a little bit of me, a bit more of Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to spend so much time in his presence that you can't help but look like him. Let's share meals together. Today, before you leave, is you're at the table of God with friends. Welcome to the table, the dinner table of scum, where no perfect people are allowed. If you on your own merits do not qualify to dine with God, then your ticket is to say yes to Jesus. He is your invitation to dine and to sup with the table of God. In John 14:6, Jesus says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one dines with the Father except through an invitation by me. That's my prayer. For you, is that you sit at the dinner table of God and enjoy the bounty that it has for you and know that it's not on your own merits, but totally through saying yes to Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing in any way. My other prayer is this week should begin to think about I don't want to have any meals alone. Who can I have meals with this week? When you go to lunch, whatever, even if it's 5, 10, 15 minutes, who can I sit down with for eating essential to the message of Jesus? Every time you break bread, even over a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, God shows up in that meeting. Today, we're going to be partaking in communion. If you proclaim the name of Jesus, you are invited to dine with us at the table of God. That today, as we take communion, we're celebrating the life, death, and resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And that we can, as we celebrate communion, we're saying yes to life in Christ. And that we are symbolically saying that there's a nameplate for us at the dinner table of God in heaven. And we are partaking in that today. So if you know that you know that you know that your nameplate is there, dine with us. Scum, invited by the invitation of Jesus to sup together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation. Thank you that we don't have to qualify in any way other than to say yes. And Father, if today, maybe today is the day that you walk by somebody's toll booth and you say, you have said, come follow me. I pray that today, if that's where you're at with someone, that they would say yes. They'd get out of the toll booth of building up their image and collecting whatever they think gives them worth and value and step into following you. It's scary. The toll booth is nice and neat. You control the AC. You control the atmosphere, but there's so much more life outside of the toll booth. Come, follow me. May we dine with you as we take part in communion together. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Crosspoint Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.